So, when I was in the army, um, we had a battalion commander. This is early on, my, my first year in the army. I was in uh, the 195th of the 500th, right? And um, his name was Shimon ben Maimon. Um, we called him Shabam, Shimon ben Maimon. He was absolutely nuts. He was mad. Um, there were legends about him. Um, when the when the 195th crossed the Awali River, when we went into Lebanon um, in 82, um, they were the tanks weren't sure where they could cross the river. You can only go up to a certain depth, and is it deep, is it not? And they were being fired on. I mean, there were bullets flying everywhere. And Shimon ben Maimon got impatient. He was annoyed. So he jumped off his tank. He just waded into the river, right? Bullets flying, everything goes, Oh, yada, yada, right? Let's go. That was Shimon ben Maimon. He was nuts, right? Um, you did not want to get on his bad side. But of all the stories about him, the thing that I remember the most, and there were some amazing stories and schalta, battles that he fought, was what's called Mishpat Shabam. What was a Mishpat Shabam? Mishpat is a military court martial trial. Shabam trials were legendary. Okay? Most of the people who had a military court martial in, in, in the army, in like the battalions, you know, they were like the cook who overslept or the guy who went AWOL or things like that. And I remember once there was a cook and the cooks, you have to understand, cooks in the army, when they're in the army, they work really hard. So, but they're usually not, you're not talking about like the cream of the Israeli crop. And, um, and they get like a great deal. They're a week in the army and then they're a week at home. Shavuot, Shavuot. Usually they come from, you know, economically challenged families. So they go home and they do work to help their families and all that sort of thing. So there's one uh, cook and he went AWOL. I don't know, something's going on in his family. And uh, he just went AWOL. He just disappeared for a week and a half. And when he came back eventually, for whatever the reason, tail between his legs, so he was ordered to a court martial. Now, court martials with Shabam were always on Thursday night. This was Lala Lavan. This was when you worked on the tanks. Everybody stayed up all night, and that's when he did the court martial. So we were all witness to this. And I'll never forget this. This guy came, and I was there for a totally different reason outside the battalion commander's office. And I saw this guy, and he's looking there. And this was a cook. The cooks were, they were terrorists. I mean, they would, they would, they would terrorize you. Like, if, if you didn't clean it up, you know, they could come over to a whole room full of pots and come in and go, like, do the whole thing again. You were terrified of them. And I see this guy, and they were like, in the kitchen, that's their kingdom. And they were the rulers of the kingdom. And, and you either listened to them, or you were going to hell. Like, that's, there's no two ways about it. Right? And this guy was terrified. He looked terrified. And I was like, I stopped, because like, I'd never seen him looking like that. He was, he was the kitchen king. And, and I said, like, what's going on? Right? And I was just a tank driver at the time. And he says, hey, she's, she's spot. I have a trial. I said, okay. He goes, Maza, okay. Mishpat Shabam. Right? It's like a court martial of Shabam. I said, oh, like I didn't know what that meant, right? This is my introduction. So I was like curious. So I'm like standing around, you know, and eventually he gets called in, right? And, you know, they call him by his name, Levi! Bo! Right? You know, like, come! And he goes in, right? Now, normally, there's a whole set of rules for a court martial. Like, you don't court martial a person alone. There's someone else in the room and there has to be a record in there. He has to stand at attention in the right uniform. Not Mishpat Shabam. The guy would go in. Shabam would be there. He would slam the door shut. They'd be quiet. Then they'd be screaming, yelling. Then you'd usually hear something like, like some bang. And then about five minutes later, the cook came out and he had like black and blue marks. He had a red mark on his face, right? 
and you know, and, and he just ran with to, and that was it. Now, later I found out the reason he did this was because there were all sorts of infractions that if you follow military code, you have to send a guy to prison. He didn't want to send these guys to prison, but he had to come up with a system that would terrify them so that they would stop doing whatever it was they were doing. And I, I have a personal opinion that he saved a lot of guys from a lot of trouble by doing this. But it stuck with me, that image, of a guy standing outside before a military court-martial in absolute terror. And that's how I think most people look at Rosh Hashanah. Like Rosh Hashanah's Yom Adin. And, and, and the big judge, I mean the judge, is judging us. And the books are open, whatever that means. And you're about to find out whether you live or die. And, you know, in the yeshiva veld that I was in, I remember Rivriskin gave a shiur on this many, many years ago, when I was uh, younger than you, and he quoted a story from Shalom Aleichem. And he has two yeshiva bachrim, and they're standing at a fish pond, and they see the fish are, like, running back and forth, and he says, look, even the fish are trembling and terrified before the coming of the days of awe. And that's kind of how most of us look at Rosh Hashanah. It's, it's pure fear. You're afraid. And I used to think that if I'm not afraid, I'm missing the whole point of Rosh Hashanah. I gotta figure out how to get afraid. And I met people who came from the Altveld, from the old country, you know, survivors. And they would describe to me on the yeshiva, especially in the Musa yeshivas, you were terrified. You, you were going to the Gehenna, or you would, you know, the Chatayim would overwhelm you, or whatever was going on, right? Now, if this is how you feel before Rosh Hashanah, well, Rosh Hashanah is the first day of Assassin's Creed, and Theoretically, you know, there's 10 days. And the first day, if you're a tzaddik, you're good. You're done. You're a tzaddik. You have more mitzvahs, right? That's what the Ramam says, based on the Gemara. And if you're a rasha, if you're wicked, whatever that means, so you're also done, you know. Kaput. No point. Might as well have a good time. So who's the only ones who have to worry? The benonim. The ones who are in the middle. Now, most of us are in the middle. Like, I don't think there's a... I mean, I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe you're one of the Lamed Vavnik and hidden guys. But I don't think most of us think of ourselves as tzaddikim. And we don't think of ourselves as Rashaim, as wicked. We kind of figure we're somewhere in the middle. So this period is about, am I going to make it this year? So if you're, if you're nervous about Rosh Hashanah, you're for sure nervous about Yom Kippur. And when you think about Yom Kippur, you know, Yom Kippur is a tough day. What is Yom Kippur all about? What, what, what are we supposed to be feeling on Yom Kippur? What does Yom Kippur mean to us? What's it supposed to be? So the most obvious text when you talk about Yom Kippur is in Parshat Acharemot, right? Parshat Zayin, right? Um, after the deaths, Parshat Acharemot, after the deaths of Nebuchadnezzar and Hiyu, they have to go in, and for some reason, right then, the Torah decides, Hashem decides to share with us the whole story of what we do on Yom Kippur. What did the Kohenim do? You know, get this go, get that go, to offer up this bullock, offer up that bullock, right? And right in the middle, Bachodesh Ashri, Beasor Lachodesh, Te'anu et Nafshotechem. And on the seventh month, which is Tishrei, right? On the tenth of the month, which is Yom Kippur, right? Te'anu et Nafshotechem. What does that mean, Te'anu et Nafshotechem? And you shall what? Afflict your souls. You got to afflict your souls. <laughs> We're going to be afflicted. Okay, somehow we're going to get kapara. We're going to talk about that. Shabbat Shabbatoni lachem. This is the Shabbos of all Shabboses. Ve'ini temet nafshotechem. Chukat olam. And you shall afflict your souls. Now I'm not sure the nefesh is a soul. Whatever. You got to be afflicted. Not conflicted, afflicted. 
Now, what does it mean that you have to be afflicted? So the Gemara is very clear about this, right? By the way, there is another major portion that talks about the Chagim. Anybody know? Somebody else? This is Bar Mitzvah Parsha? Parshat Emor, very good. Parshat Emor is the Parsha of the Chagim. It goes through the calendar, right? You know, um, it starts with Bachorosh HaRishon Bar Basar, Erev Pesach, goes through Pesach, goes through Sfir HaSaomer, Sfaratum Lachen, Machorat HaShabbat, Shavuot, and then it gets to Bachorosh HaShvi, seventh month, which is Tishrei. Echad Lachodesh, Yelachem Shabbaton, Zichron Trua, what day are we talking about? Rosh Hashanah, right? And then, Achbe Asol Lachodesh, but on the 10th of the month, this is in Perak Chav Gimel, Parsha Nemor, Pasuk Chav Zayin, right? 2327. Yom And you shall afflict yourself. Now, Uncle, this doesn't really help us here. Vitanun, same word, right? So, what do you mean to afflict yourself? Well, it's not very good. How do we know it's not very good? The Gemara. Right, the Gemara in Yoma, at the beginning of the eighth parak, right? So the Gemara explains to us what this is all about. The Gemara says, "Yoma Kippurim asu ba'achila u'b'shtiya u'v'rechitza u'v'tzicha u'v'nigat asandav tashmishamita v'chamesh inuyim." Five things that you do to afflict yourself. You're not supposed, not supposed to be a pleasant day. Don't eat, don't drink, don't immerse yourself, don't anoint yourself, don't wear comfortable shoes, not exactly, but okay. Don't have relations. So if you had to pick an adjective for this word, based on this, fast, afflict yourself, what would you say? You know, I'm supposed to feel what? What's this day about? It's a day of what? Fasting, penitence, serious day. It's a serious day. Inui. Now what's strange about this is if you look in this Pasuk, right in the middle there, right between two verses in Vayikra Nacharemo to Perik Zayim, right? It says, afflict your souls. And two Pesukim later, Shabbat Shatom v'initem et nafshotechem. Right in the middle of those two it says, Kivayom hazeh, yechaper alechem, litahir etchem mikol chatotechem, mitnei Hashem titaru. On this day you will be atoned, and you'll be purified. Now, I don't know about you. Getting atonement, being forgiven, feeling pure, is that a feeling of being afflicted? I mean, that would seem to me to be awesome. If Hashem says, I'm going to forgive you, brother, it's an unbelievable thing. So is this a day of affliction, or is this a day of purification? And there are really two basic questions here. First question is, what's English? What does that really mean, to afflict your soul? And the second question is, what does that have to do with tahara? Why is afflicting myself? Do you feel purer because you don't eat? Do you feel purer because you're wearing uncomfortable shoes? That sounds very what? I'm going to wear horrible shoes. I'm going to wear sackcloth. I'm going to beat myself with brushes. That sounds what? We're Catholic or Muslim if you're at a funeral. You know, they beat themselves on a chvesnish, right? What does that do to Judaism? What did, what did, and these two processes are not too different. They're right next to each other. And by the way, consistently. I'm not going to spend time showing you that, but it's consistent. So what is Inui? And what is Tara? And by the way, since we're on the topic, what is Kapara? Right? What does the Pasuk say? It says, Ki vayom hazeh yechaper alechem v'taher etchem. 
מכל חטאתיכם לפני השם תתארו. זה מין יכפר עליכם ותאר אתכם. Is it about that Hashem is going to purify us? Or is it that he's going to be mechaper us? And what is kapara? What is kapara? So somebody will say it's atonement. You know why? Because when you were young, especially where's my, especially if you're in England, it's the day of atonement. We're going to be atoned. Some of us are tone deaf. Like, what does that even mean? What is kapara? Now, agree with me that understanding what kapara is is pretty important. Why? Because it's Yom Kippurim. We don't call it Yom Tahara. That would be great. Then we could all wear retirely brand new t-shirts and be unbelievable. But, so I want to understand what this is about. Okay. So, first of all, right, is, what kind of day is this? So the Zohar, on Parshat Emor, okay, the Zohar, very interesting, okay, says, Amar Rabbi Yehuda, this is an Emor and Davtzadichas in the Zohar, Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Kulan Mo'adin Krinanze. You call all of these things that are described in Parshat Emor, Mo'adin. What's a Mo'ed? It's a festival that appears at a specific time. Moed is the word for time. Nafke Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Except for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. There's no joy to be found in Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. So the opinion of the Zohar is, this is not a day of joy. This is a serious day. Okay, not a serious day. Okay, all right. But if you look in that same Gemara and Yoma, it talks about the Chamesh Yinuyim, that you have to suffer. And the next Amud... Now you're in Dafayin Dalad Amad Beis in Yoma, in the 8th parak, right? It says there, Tanu Rabban Te'anu Et Nafshotechem, quoting our Pasuk, afflict your souls. Yochol Yeshev Bachamau Sina Kadesh Yitzter. So maybe a person should sit in the heat, or sit in the cold, so he should suffer. You know, if you're, uh, I don't know, Yom Kippur in Saudi Arabia, go sit out in the sun, you know, in 130 degrees, and you'll suffer. If we're going to suffer, let's suffer. And if you're in Norway, go sit out at night in the cold and suffer. Sigmar says, no, Talmud Lomar v'chol malacha lo ta'aseh. Ma malacha shevi al ta'aseh. Af inu nefesh shevi al ta'aseh. Inui is not about suffering. It's just desisting from certain things. So what does that mean? Like, I thought we're supposed to afflict ourselves. So if we're going to suffer, let's do some suffering. No, it's not about suffering. So what kind of a day is it? What, what is this all about? Right? Okay. The Shulchan Arach. The Shulchan Arach in Simon Tavkuf Pebet says as follows. This is in Tavkuf Pebet that would be 582. Simon in the Archive. That's what you say in a Chag. say, Moadim Simcha. Chagim was Moadim Sasan. But not on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. Why? Because it's not Simcha. V'chein and Omer v'hasiyenu. You don't say Shkoya, thank you. I did it myself. I don't know your names. The, 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 you don't say Chagim was Manim You don't say v'hasiyenu. Why don't we say v'hasiyenu in, in, in the Davani? It's all about experiencing joy. There's no joy in Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. So you don't say that. And the Shulchan Aruch goes on, "Ubitfilat Nusaf, Eino Omer ve'Einanu Yecholim La'alot Le'alot Lefanecha, Ela ve'Einanu Yecholim La'asot Chovotenu Lefanecha." We don't say we can't uh, any longer in the basement just come up and be in your presence because that's a joyful experience. 
No, we say we can't fulfill our obligations. That's more intense. It's a funny thing. I know Rav Amital used to get annoyed if people said Chag Sameach on Rosh Hashanah. So it's Yom Adin, it's not a Chag Sameach. Shulchan Aruch. Okay, so I guess it's a serious day. It's not a happy day. But it's not actually so simple. Okay? First of all, if you look in Nehemiah, there is a fascinating piece in Nehemiah. Right? Uh, Nehemiah um, was basically the governor until Ezra comes along. Um, he had Ruach HaKodesh. He wasn't the Navi, per se. Well, that's a discussion. But he had divine inspiration. And he was definitely the leader of the Jewish people. What famous act did Nehemiah get to do? What was his great privilege? Anybody know? He built Baichin. He was the one who organized. They had, there were about 130,000 Jews in Israel at the time. Koresh, Cyrus, gives the decree they can rebuild the base of Mikdash. There's hundreds of thousands, some say as many as two and a half million Jews in Bavel. And they don't come back. They can build the base of Mikdash and they don't come back. It's like 1967 back then. You could come, you could learn, you could grow, you could have the best job ever. There's no reason to be in America. Nope, we're not coming. Go figure. Where we're from, go figure. Okay. They don't come home. Ezra comes up 10 years later. The base of Egypt is already built. Now, why does Ezra wait 10 years to come up? Does anybody remember? Learning Torah with who? He's learning Torah with a guy named Baruch ben Neria. Do you know who Baruch ben Neria was? They actually found, this is amazing, they found a seal with the name Baruch ben Neria. They found his seal in Ir David. In the Mekom uh, where they think the palace of the scribes were. They mamash found this guy's seal. Unbelievable. Right out of Tanakh. He was a student. Pardon? No, no, no. He got up here. Right? He was here before he went down. Right? Baruch ben was the Talmud Mufak. He was the student par excellence of Yirmiyahu Anam. Right? He was Yirmiyahu's student. He went into Galut. Yirmiyahu was not allowed to go into Galut. Ezra learned Torah with Baruch ben Baruch ben finally dies, and Ezra comes home. Okay, Ezra gets back here and finds it's a cesspool. It, it, it's a catastrophe. Kohenim are intermarried. People don't remember what Shabbat is. They don't keep kosher anymore. It's a disaster. They have a base of mikdash, and they're eating trays. Now, he doesn't... He gathers them all together in Rosh Hashanah. He does it by hook and by crook. He basically... He has official powers from the king of Persia, of the Persian Empire. This is a Persian suburb, as it were, right? Province. And he basically tells them, if you don't come on Rosh Hashanah to the base of Mikdash, you're going to lose your land. So everybody comes. Like 130,000 Jews, they crowd on Taharabai. And it's not clear how he does this. He just starts reading them sukkim. He must have been very charismatic. It must have been powerful. Probably the older of them have heard stories and remember they suddenly realize they're standing in the place of the Mikdash. This mass tshuva occurs. People throw themselves to the ground, they start to scream and they start to cry. And as a result of this, this great mass tshuva moment, uh, Ezra creates the Ajay Knesset Gdola, 120 men of the Great Assembly. He creates the Sofrim. They open up the first Jewish day schools. They, they begin to educate and they, they put together the Shmona Esrei. This is how davening works. People forgot what davening was and all that stuff happens. But in the midst of all this, it's Rosh Hashanah. And Vayomer Nachem Yehuah Tashat Vezra Kohen Asofer Velvim Al Tidablu Vyal Tivku Don't mourn. Why are you crying? 
They're crying hysterically because they're hearing Torah and they suddenly realize what they lost, what they forgot. Don't be sad on this day. This is a festival. This is a day of joy. What day is he talking about? He's talking about Rosh Hashanah. And if Rosh Hashanah is a day of joy, then Yom Kippur is a day of joy. So it's a day of joy. What famous event happens on Yom Kippur? Anybody know? Okay, don't tell me Moshe comes down with a luchot. That's definitely true. And the fact that Moshe comes down after the whole debacle of the golden calf with the new set of luchot would seem to make this a day of, of a happy day. But what other major event in Jewish history happens on Yom Kippur? Pardon? No, that's not what I'm thinking of. Big event. That's an important event. It's not a major event. What? Wow. Wow, wow. Guys, you got to learn your history. Chanukat HaMikdash. Bayit Rishon was dedicated. On Yom Kippur. By who? Shlomo HaMelech. Does anybody know what was unique about that Yom Kippur? This is great. Who said that? They didn't fast. They had a big party. They brought out food and wine. They drank. They ate. They feasted. You want to have a good reason to hope they rebuild the base of Middash? That Yom Kippur, nobody fasts. Right? Now, if Yom Kippur was supposed to be a sad, serious day, you wouldn't do that on Yom Kippur. Right? You're not going to build the base of Mikdash on Yom HaShoah. So, it seems to be a happy day. Right? So, is Yom Kippur a happy day or a sad day? By the way, what would be the easiest way to determine this halakhri? What metric could we use to determine whether this is a happy day or a sad day? Can we think of something? Something that should or shouldn't happen? Yeah? Pardon? Oh, very good. Do we say halal on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? No. no. Why do we not say halal on Rosh Hashanah? So that's the Gemara on Rosh Hashanah. The Gemara on Rosh Hashanah, right? The Gemara on Rosh Hashanah says, let me see if I can find it. Um, no, this is Tanit. Where's, where's Rosh Hashanah? One second. The Gemara on Rosh Hashanah says, yeah. Amar Rabbi Avar, Amar Malachi, Asher, Zetnei HaKadosh Baruch, Rebona Shlolam. Why don't the Jews sing and praise you on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur? In other words, why don't they say halal? Amar lahem, so Hashem said, this is an agarita, it's not halacha, but still. Amar lahem, efshar melech yashev al kisei din, v'sifrei chayim u'sifrei meitim b'tochim l'fanav Yisrael omrim shira. The king is sitting in judgment, the courts are open, the, the, the books of life and death are open, and the Jews are singing and dancing. So it's a serious day. On the other hand, look at Masech Tanit. And in Masech Tanit, right, it says, last Mishnah in Masech Tanit, it's on Davchav Vav Amibet, right? Amr of Shem Gamliel, Lo Ayu Yamim Tovim Lisrael. There were no greater festivals for the Jewish people. Kechamisha Sabaav Ucheyom Akipurim. Tu Baav, the 15th of Av was the day when the idols were destroyed um, in the time of uh, the first temple that prevented the ten tribes, led them to Abu Zarah, prevented them from coming to the base of Mikdash, whatever else was going on there. And that became a festival, and the Jews could also come back and marry each other amongst the tribes, and that's a whole interesting discussion. Why is Yom Kippur a festival? It says, because what would they do? Shabahin b'not Yushalayim, yotzot b'chalei lavan, shulin, Because the girls would come out in white dresses, everybody wore white dresses, so that nobody should be embarrassed they don't have. Anybody know what custom we have today from this? We wear white kittles. 
and the women all wear, people wear white, based on this. Simple white dresses, that we shouldn't embarrass people, I'm wealthy, I'm not, whatever, it shouldn't be a fashion show. And what did they do? They would dance in the vineyards. Like, come on, it's just like a Sadie Hawkins day. Sadie Hawkins was a day, they, they did like dances, my dad told me about this, where the girls could ask the guys to dance. So the girls would go to the field, it was a big Shaduchin day. They would go out, it was like prom night. Anyam Kipper. And the Tosefta, by the way, I think it's in the Tosefta, or it might have been in uh, Kasher's uh, uh, Sefer Amidrash and Shashaling. But unbelievable Medrash. It says, okay, so what did the girls used to say? So if girls were wealthy or beautiful, they would say, look at the beauty. What do you do if a girl is not so beautiful? She's like a shtickle homely. Right? Homely, you know what homely means? Yes. It's like, uh, not pretty, right? So they would say, look at the yichus. I may not be, but I'm from the Vilna Gaon, right? Okay. You should marry me. What do you do, Nebuch, for the girls? They have no wealth. They're not uh, particularly bright. They're not beautiful. What do they do? According to Sefta? No. Do a mitzvah. <laughs> do a mitzvah. This is fa- George Bernard Shaw's famous line. You want to do a good deed? You want to do a mitzvah? Whistle at a homely girl. That's a nice thing to do, right? Okay? Okay. Don't try this in the rova. You might get in trouble, but okay. Right? So, no, that woke you up. Okay, yeah, I got it, right? So what does this have to do with Yom Kippur? What is this doing, Yom Kippur? Can you imagine? Rav Noam says, where are you? We're in the middle of Kol Nidre, and you're like, it's a nice babe in the Rover Square. You know, it's a mission in Tannis. I don't think so. What does this have to do with Yom Kippur? But that I can understand. That's a day of joy. People getting married. So is this a joy, a day of joy? Or a day of, in, of seriousness, of sadness? Are we supposed to be afraid? We're supposed to be happy? We're supposed to feel? So it would seem that the key to this is two things. Understanding Tara and Kapara and understanding what it means. Le'anot et nafshotechem. So what is Inu? What is Inu? We're almost done. What is Inu? So the truth is, on the one hand, Lechem Oni, bread of affliction, right? We, we suffered in the triumph. On the other hand, the same bread in the Gemara Pesachim is also called Lechem She'onimalav Halel. This is the bread over which you sing Halel. We sing Halel at Anlel Seder. Because it's the, it's the bread that we got free with. Right? On the one hand, afflict your souls, the Chamesh Yenuim. On the other hand, in Perak Chavav, in Parashat Kitavo, Ve'anita Ve'amarta. When you bring the Bikurin, the first fruits, and you bring them up to the base of Mikdash, right? You're supposed to declare. And that's a moment of tremendous joy. And by the way, one of the Perushim, I forget who it was, says, Ve'anita is, is, and you shall sing, and you shall say. They would sing their gratitude of the first fruits. So Vanita is affliction, it's joy. So what do we do with that? Right? Alright. So there's one text in the Torah which is the critical paradigm piece for understanding what Inui is all about. And that's a very strange story. That's the story of Moshe Rabbeinu up on top of Harsinai. Okay? Everybody remembers this story. Moshe Rabbeinu is up on top of the mountain. Okay? And Hashem says, Leich, raid, you got to go down. Moshe doesn't. He has an argument. Finally, Vayifen, Vayerid, Moshe, Minahar. 
And the two tablets are in his hands. Begins to describe them. It's interesting why now I'm describing these luchos. They're about to be destroyed, but okay. Now Yoshua, if this is the top of the mountain, here's Moshe. Okay? Let's assume I'm the mountain. So here's Moshe on top of the mountain. Over there is the Jewish people, 2,000 amount away from the mountain. Who's at the bottom of the mountain, anybody remember? This is Canaan. This Canaan are at the bottom of the mountain, the elders, the, the Sanhedrin, whatever. Okay? A little further up the mountain is you, anybody know? This is in Perak Dalad in Shemot. Not even of you. They were leaders of the Jewish people. Moshe's here, another one of you, this Canaan. Who's here? Yeshua. Yeshua's one step below Moshe Abinu. So he's pretty far from the people. But he hears that something's going on. So he sees Moshe coming down. And he hears all this noise, screaming and yelling. There must be a war, they're being attacked. Yeshua's a warrior. He fought against Amalek. Vayomer, listen to what Moshe says. Ein kol anot gvura. Inu, anot. Ein kol anot gvura. Vein kol anot chalusha. Kol anot anachishomer. I do not hear the sounds of war. Right? La anot. In other words, you know, if you look at the commentaries when it says Vanita Vyamarta by the Bikurim, so Rashi says you declare out loud. Some of the commentaries explain. Right, the 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 the, the Sittichavim says, why does Rashi have to say that? Because normally la note is to respond. Right, you ask me a question, I respond to you. So the the Sittichavim points out there in the story of the first fruits of the Bikurim, you can't be answering anybody. There's actually one of the Perushim, I think it's the Orachaim. I think it's the Orachaim who says it could be that the Kohen, or maybe it's the Ramban, the Kohen asks you, you know. Where is the fruit from, or why'd you bring the fruit, or what's going on? And you answer him, This is why I'm bringing the fruit. But that's a little schwer, it's not so simple, right? So, a note normally is to answer. So, here I would explain, Kol Anotpura, this is not a sound of responding in might. Vein Kol Anot Chalushan, it's not a sound responding in weakness. They're not, they're not screaming because they're suffering because they're terrified of being attacked, and they're not screaming because they're victorious in a battle. I just hear a sound of anot. Now, what does that mean, call anot? So there are two basic commentaries. One commentary says, without getting into the Makoros, you can look this up in the Makoros Gedalos, who says what? Svarno, Ibn Ezra. One commentary says, call anot. This is a sound of distress. They're distressed about something. They're upset about something. There's something going on. And one opinion says, I am distressed. Because something's wrong there. And the other opinion is, call a note, it's a sound of rejoicing. And Moshe is distressed because they're rejoicing because he knows what's going on. Now, if they're all upset because he's not there and something in there, whatever, but the fact that they're enjoying it, so what does this mean? Call a note. It means that, that Inui is dependent on context. It means whether this is a sound of victory or defeat of rejoicing or despair depends on how you're seeing the events. Are you seeing this, right? One person, right? There's a lot of noise going on. The Jews are screaming and yelling because they're having an orgy of idolatry. 
The people standing around, remember, how many Jews were there who were actually worshipping the golden calf? Remember? It was about... 3,000. 3,000. Okay. What about the other 600,000? A lot of them were pretty upset about this. So some of the noise is joy because we're having such a good time. We're having a party. Right? Vayakumulitzachek, the Pesach says, by Chet Egel. Where else do I see Mitzachek? Who's the Mitzachek in Tanakh? Yishmael. And if you look in Rashi, when he's Mitzachek, it says he brings Avodazara, he brings Arayos into the house, idolatry, adultery. Paganism always involved licentious behavior. The Jews at the foot of Sinai are having an orgy of idolatry. That's what they're doing. Pshat in the Medrash, if there could be such a thing. And then there's all these people around, and they're in agony. So Inui can be both affliction and joy. You know when I figured this out? When I had my bar mitzvah, so I was born on Lagba Omer. And, but I really wanted to have, I knew that the family was going to Israel that summer. I wanted to have my first aliyah at the Torah at the Kota. And I asked my parents if we could do that. They thought it was a great idea. So I didn't have my bar mitzvah around my bar mitzvah parasha, which would have which was a lot of klalos. I'm glad that didn't work out, right? And I had my first bar mitzvah, like an aliyah at the Kotel and whatever in, in the summer in Parsha Pinchas. And then I came back, I had a big bar mitzvah in Parsha Prish, right? Never forget this, the Kotel. So we got a spot near the Mechitza so my mother could stand on the wall and see and whatever. And there were all these like uh, Sephardi women, Yemenites, Echfeisnisht. So they see a bar mitzvah, they start going, Ooh! right, you ever hear that sound, right? I don't know if anybody here can do this, Ooh! right, do, can you do this? Right, Yalile, that's what they call it. Yala, yala, yalile, right? That's what it's called, right? Now, shh. Now, this is interesting. Because I forgot about that sound. I'm an Ashkenaz, Tahor. I'm a serious busbus. You know, I grew up in New York. Not a lot of Spartan hanging out where we are. And uh, I used to go to a Flatbush seminar. I would get with the SYs, like, you know, once, twice a year. That was, like, a lot of fun, you know? But, but other than that, I was a J-Dub Tahor, right? And, uh, and I didn't know a lot. Until, 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 uh, until I was in the army. I'll never forget this. That story I told you about, that ambush, right? My first day of freedom, my parents had rented a car. We were going to go on a drive. I was going to take them to see some places. We were going to end up and have a big mangal barbecue. It was going to be an awesome day. Instead, I ended up going to two funerals. I made a terrible mistake. My, mother, my parents said, we're going with you. We're not going to go on your lawn. I should never let them come. Last thing they needed to see. I'll never forget this, right? Went to Renan's uh, funeral. Uh, he was a sergeant, Plurachet, phenomenal guy. His name is on the Adarta and the Bikah. I'm never his mother, you know, the, the Ashkenazim. You ever go to a British funeral? They're very, they keep it all together. Like the Queen Mother dies, right? And everybody's like, we're very sad. <laughs> but we're Pardon. dignified, Pardon. right? Pardon? That was way too emotional. Way too emotional, right? <laughs> no, they stiff up a lip. I know you've lost all your toes, but you can hang in there, right? That's just what they do. Not the Sephardim. Not the Sephardim. You go to a Sephardi funeral, and it's all hanging out. This screaming and yelling. I actually think it's much healthier. And this mother throws herself on the coffin, and she starts screaming. Alta zovuti, alta zov. I'll never forget this. That's my first day as a civilian. Alta zov, don't leave me. And all of the, the cousins, the aunts, whoever they are, they're making that same sound. That's what they do. It's the same sound. And I'm listening to this, and I'm, I'm like, like I hear a sound, and it reminds, and I suddenly realize that's the same sound from my bar mitzvah. Why are they making the same sound? Now, what is that sound, Yalila Yalim? 
We blow shofar in Rosh Hashanah. What is the shofar sound of Rosh Hashanah? It's, it's the tefillah that goes beyond words. It's the yalile yalil v'ginuche ganach. Sobs and horrible sounds of crying of the mother of Sisra, the mother of our enemy, which is amazing that we, 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 we feel the pain of the mother of our enemy. That's just amazing. It's pain. It's, 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 it's terror. It's sadness. It's anguish. Anguish at the mistakes we made. Anguish at the state the world is in. Anguish at how far we need to go. It's all, it's, that's the chauffeur of Rosh Hashanah. It's serious. But not Yom Kippur. We blow the chauffeur at the end of Yom Kippur. Hashem Elohim, and you will see, you will never have a more joyous chauffeur sound. Or at least you never have had probably a more serious, joyous chauffeur sound as the shofar you're going to hear here up on the roof when we finish Avinu Lankane. It's unbelievable. Because we've been forgiven. What's the difference between Kapara and Tara? It's the last thought for the night. What are these two processes? The Rambam holds like the Shita of Rebbe. I don't have time to get into this. I don't want to keep you too long. But if you look in the Gemara in Yoma and you look in the Rambam in this first parak of Hilchos Shuvah, you see that for certain types of Averos, mitzvot, kalot, right? If you experience Yom Kippur, you're done. The Sarilazazah that the coin Gadol brings, it has to be in the time of the Beis Amintas, the coin Gadol, gains us Kapar. And today... We don't have the Sa'ir Lazazel, the, the goat. We don't have the base of Mikdash, we don't have the Mizbech, but we have Yom Kippur. What does that mean? So I want you to understand. There are two things that happen to us when we transgress. There are two things. The first thing, right? You know, I don't know. Avery says, you know, I'm tired of like, yummy. So he goes into his room and he just, you know, takes his laptop. Says, let's play Frisbee's. I'm annoyed at him. He plays Frisbee's lap, brings his laptop. That's an Avera. It's Nazikin. Misses out in the mitzvah of Avtarech Kamal. So now two things have happened. Right? First thing that happened is the world changed. He had a laptop, now he doesn't. The world's off balance. And if Avery suddenly realized, oh my gosh, I gotta fix this, he's gotta fix what went wrong. He's gotta be Mataki in the world. He's gotta give him back a laptop. And he's got to make amends with him, and they got to hug, and whatever else they got to do. And you can fix that by doing that. But there's another thing that happened. The hate that we do pollutes our souls. If I steal money from you, one issue is you now have lost your money, you got to fix that. The other is I've become a thief. Kapara is about fixing what went wrong in the world. Tahara is about fixing myself. Hashem says... All the stuff you have with me, what's the consequence of the mistakes we make? We become distant. Adam gets kicked out of Gan Eden. Cain has to wander. You know, you, 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 you yell at your wife, you become distant from her. So, we want to become close. We've got to make amends. Hashem says, if you taste Yom Kippur, all the mistakes you made with me are erased. That's all you need to do. Yom Kippur is all about taking a day and being with each other, putting aside our differences, getting back to what we're really doing here. That experience, Hashem says, erases all the mess you made with me. You're done. You have kapara. You fixed what went wrong because of your mistakes. It's a clean slate. It's unbelievable that that happens. 
That's why it's called Yom Kippurim. Now, you haven't done the Tarah. The Tarah is Tshuva. That's fixing myself. And I'm not saying that's easy. But could you imagine? I have a day where Hashem says, we're good. Imagine, God forbid, a person has a terrible fight with his wife. She kicks him out of the house. She's so angry at him. He's got to do three things. He's got to fix her. He's got to fix himself. He's got to become the person who could never do that. That's hard work. But what if she says to him, you know what? Come and celebrate my birthday with me, and we'll be done. That'll be good. Of course you go and celebrate your Who would do that? At the end of the day, you're back. The love of your life loves you again. You still got to fix yourself. But that's on you. That's the joy of Yom, Yom Kippur. Is it a day of serious, sad, or is it a day of joy? It depends on you. On Yom Kippur, we discover that Hashem loves us. That we're back. And it's that easy. And you will never have an easier time doing that than this year on Yom Kippur. Because you're in the old city of Yishalayim. You just look down at the floor and you know which way the base of Mikdash is. You can't get closer than this. We're going to go up on that roof for Kol Nidre. And, and we're going to have a moment. And I'm going to tell you this now. I'm going to repeat it to you again on, on was it, Tuesday. Everybody thinks Yom Kippur is a 25-hour fast. It is not a 25-hour fast. Best advice I can give you, by the way, for Erev Yom Kippur, the Gemara says, eat on Erev Yom Kippur. It's like you fast on Yom Kippur. You do both. That's an interesting discussion for another time, what that really means. Don't, I, I love the yeshiva, and I love the food in the yeshiva, and I love Michael. Erev Yom Kippur, don't rely on the yeshiva. It, you know, there's just never going to be enough for a guy to have four schnitzels. The one day of the year you want to be sure lots to eat, do yourself a favor on Monday. Go to the supermarket, buy a little extra food, buy a couple sandwiches, stuff yourself. It's okay. When you get to the base medrash for, for the night of Kol Nidre, if you're like me, you've been drinking all day. I'll give you another trick, by the way. Eat grapes. Grapes have a very high sugar content and it stays in your bloodstream. If you eat a lot of grapes for three days, you will not be thirsty the whole day on your giver. Guaranteed. Uh, you could look that up as to how it works, but it's true. I discovered this in the army. It's a good trick. Just buy grapes. Buy out all the grapes, right? If you do all this stuff and you're like me, you get to Kol Nidri, you can't move. My biggest worry on, your, on, on the night of Kol Nidri is am I going to be able to go upstairs and not have to go to the bathroom? Because I, I drank four bottles of water. I had two whole pieces of chicken. I don't know, whatever it is. So if the fast starts at 6 p.m., you're not fasting at 6.15. On a normal day, you wouldn't be able to look at food. Like, you're stuffed. And the only reason at 10 o'clock at night you might think, I, I, I would like to do it's just because somebody told you you can't. But you're not fasting. You have a great meal for dinner. It's not healthy to eat after 7 o'clock anyway. You should be dinner and done. So you're done. So you daven. Um, davening here does not take late into the night. I know there's some yeshivas in Volusion that used to go all night. Like I told you, I think less is more. We finish on time. What you do with the evening, you'll have a number of different options. It'll be up to you. Some of you will go to sleep because that's actually not a bad thing to do. So when do you start to fast? You don't start at night. Next morning you wake up, you're not hungry. And if you're not thinking about it, you're not thirsty either. Like, on a normal day, if you didn't have a chance to have a drink or eat until 11, you wouldn't think about it. So when do you start fasting? 11? 12? You got six hours left of the fast. The fasting will keep us six hours. That's what it is. It's not a 24-hour fast. And if you understand that, then you realize you're just putting aside the stuff that distracts you on Yom Kippur. You get to be in a better place for a day. It's unbelievable. That's Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the day of Kapara. Hashem says, come be with me and we'll erase the difference together. That's the joy of Yom Kippur. There's a lot more to talk about. We're going to stop here.